Everybody, welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we doing tonight? I am doing wonderful. I'm so excited about this episode. This is actually one of my favorites in the series. So yeah, let's do it. I feel like I am like boxed in in a little corner here it's gonna be three on one this is how it was last week with me it's it's gonna be like survivor series where you basically have like your three heels beating up on the white meat baby face and then i've got to overcome the odds here no i'm really excited because we are talking about uh wes craven's new nightmare tonight which i have been on the record many times saying that i'm not a huge fan of so it's going to be interesting. Although I will say this is not a situation like Mandy or Host where I think they're two of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's just that I have, and I, 
you know, I hate to say, like, I'm re-watching this movie in preparation for the show. I'm like, man, there's, like, way more that I appreciate about it than I did before. So I'm going to have to be positive tonight in a lot of ways. And that's just, I was looking Not forward. Good. <laughs> well, you know, we're usually pretty positive, And I was looking forward to being a bit of a negative Nancy tonight. And that's probably not going to be super the case. No, I was looking forward to that last week. I was like, man, I'm just going to be a dick yeah. on this episode. And you guys had great. such great valid points. And I was like, well, I guess. Yeah. So now like dream child is your favorite. No, Freddy's dead is your favorite. Oh, no, episode. no, no. I, uh, Freddy's dead will always be, I think right above the remake for me. Okay. So <laughs> we are not alone tonight and we have a pair of guests, a pair of first time guests on our show. Uh, let us welcome first from Wicked Horror, Ghastly Grinning, and F This Movie, we have Michelle Egan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Welcome on. I know we have like talked a little bit before about coming on, having you on, and I am just horrible about getting back to people sometimes or i will mark down um guests for certain episodes and then lose the sheet so oh, i'm really you. really glad you followed up with me and that we were able to get you on tonight so well i'm gonna tell you right now put me down for one of the child's play movies okay you absolutely. know that's my super fave that is your super fave we will yes. definitely absolutely well you know what Let's see how tonight goes. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure we will. No pressure. No pressure. I'm sure. We're going to turn you around on New Nightmare. I, you know, I don't think there's going to be a ton of turning around um, or that you're going to have a lot. We rephrase that. I don't think that there's going to have to be like a hard turn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. More like a dosy do I don't know. All right. You're on the cusp. You're close. On the cusp. You're close. We're going to get you over the edge, though. Yeah. And let's get to our second guest now. We have from Elm Street Radio and soon uh, the Fred Heads, the documentary. We have Deandra Laser. Hi. I'm super happy to be on, guys. You can probably already tell by my Twitter bio that I am, in fact, a huge fan of New Nightmare. I talk about it all the time and so i'm very very excited to talk about it with you all today especially having somebody who doesn't really like it as much as i do i think that that's going to be a really interesting conversation i don't intend on coming after you however i will say in preparation for today i did in fact put my replica painting that robert made from new nightmare in a very prominent spot on my wall so to give me good energy so you're staring at it like right now and just kind of drawing power from this? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was I just am... thinking about that last night that I really want a copy of that no. painting from the movie. Oh my gosh, I had it shipped to me and it was much bigger than I thought it was going to be. And I was carrying it through downtown where I work and I brought it in and they're just like, what is this? I was like, do you want to see it? And I pulled it out in this corporate office and there it was just Freddie slashing through all these people. It's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love it. I am looking at a little sign that my daughter made when I was meeting her at the airport, when I got to England to go visit her and my wife when they were on family holiday. And it says, dad, look down. And it has like googly eyes and a beard. And then the top of her head and it says, AKA Mike Snoonian signed Ada <laughs> with a little arrow pointing down. And oh, I didn't notice this. The arrow looks kind of like an American flag. Um, it has like the stars. So, you know, bring it on, I guess, is what I'm saying. When it comes to art, just like bring it. I, that is going to be my chi 
tonight. <laughs> right, so. I have that um, Mondo poster that they did a couple of years ago for New oh, Nightmares, that was and good I one, yeah. still have not like framed it and put it up or anything. It, oh, it that's such a good one. I love I, it. I thought you were going to say you had artwork for my kid. I don't know why I thought <laughs> that, but all right, we are off to a. Great... I wouldn't say no to artwork from your kid. She's super talented. Like, do you think she could make a replica of Robert Englund's painting from New Nightmare? Yeah, I need one of those. I think she could, right before this, we actually took like an old plastic cauldron, spray painted it. And like over the past couple of nights, we've thrown like mod, like, I think it's called like match glue and like oatmeal all over it, painted that green and then made like all these rusty spots on it. So we're making these, all these like homemade Halloween props for our yard this year. And it came out awesome. So. Oh, that's so cool. That would make for a really awesome other YouTube video or such where your daughter creates like mm -hmm. art. She could replicate um, yeah. maybe some of the famous posters from horror movies or She's whatever good. you guys do. It's pretty awesome. What's really funny, like speaking on like kid art real quick, I did a signing a few years back at Dark Delicies. I was signing an issue of a magazine that I wrote for and next to me was like Joe Dante, Tom Holland and all these people. And I brought my son Dexter with me to join me, like his first little signing thing. And so he was sitting next to me and he's such a huge fan of full moon stuff. So he drew like really bad, like really poorly, like blade from like puppet master movies and like this Chucky that just looks like a blob of color. And I was, and I just wanted to make him like, you know, feel good. So I was like, hey, do you want to go take this to like, you know, he drew a gremlin too. I was like, do you want to take this to Charles Band and Joe Dante and Tom Holland? to get them to sign this for you. I'm sure they'll sign it for free. I mean, we're all doing the signing together. And I took my son and they all had like such different reactions. Like Charles Ben was like really nice and acted like it was like, you know, the Mona Lisa. He's like, oh my God, this is great. And he gave signed my him son... to a six picture deal. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> about, that, about that level of screenwriting. But anyways, uh, that uh, Joe Dante was really sweet and signed it and he got to Tom Holland and he goes, what is this supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Well, Tom Holland is like super old and has earned the right to be crotchety. So that's okay. Oh, that is all right. Great. All right. I guess I want to ask, and I have a little story behind this. It's way too long. So I want to ask our panelists first, like what it is about New Nightmare that first drew you to this movie? Because I know Deandra in particular, I remember when we were like way back before we even... Um, said we were doing a nightmare on elm street like when you found out like my opinion you're like when you do this movie like have me on your show so what is it about this particular entry that you that you find so com oh what's your first experience watching it that like really kind of sucked you into it well actually i first started out hating it uh because it wasn't i, I was such a big nancy fan that i wanted nancy back as nancy heather pretend his playing nancy wasn't a huge draw for me. I was like, this stinks. I still feel all sad because Nancy's still technically dead. And I didn't like the new look for Freddie. I was like, this is such a, this is so separate from everything in the universe that we've come to know and love. I watched it when, for the first time when I was about, mm, I want to say maybe 15 years old. I was a late bloomer to the horror fandom. And so I just didn't care for it. It didn't have a lot of Freddie kills. It, it just wasn't as exciting as the other movies. And I don't exactly know how the shift happened, but the more I got into the mythos of A Nightmare on Elm Street and specifically Wes Craven's New Nightmare, the more I watched it, the more I started to say, hey, 
this movie is really interesting. It's very deep. I like to think when it comes to horror movies. And I always loved that Wes put a lot of symbolism and a lot of meaning behind his movies because I love to learn those things about horror. That's one of the reasons I love horror. And just to have Heather back at the center, I came to appreciate it being what it was. And she just gives, for me, the best performance out of the entire franchise. And I just love the way that it was executed to be realistic and the whole idea of what do films really impact our kids and what's the role of horror in society. And just uh, listening to Wes talk about that and why he made this movie, it just made me become such a huge fan of it. And I've written papers about it for school and told everybody and I make people watch it. And I just will always stand up for for this film. And so I've just come to love and appreciate it over the years. So I just think it's kind of funny that I started out hating it and it came to be my favorite, one of my favorite films of all time, top two. When you say that you started to appreciate some of the realism of this film and how, you know, how that I don't want to say a gritty feel, but like a more lived in feel to it overall. Did that lessen like some of the more fantastical elements of the earlier entries? Does that kind of lessen your appreciation for those movies or does it just kind of hold them on different levels? No, I don't think it lessens it at all because they're two different animals. Wes Craven's New Nightmare was meant to be removed from the series because Wes did not like what the films had become. He thought that they deviated so far from his original vision. Uh, And then even seeing what became of part three versus what he had intended, which his version is pretty wild, um, much darker, much darker, the version he wrote with Bruce Wagner. And I enjoy it, particularly the ending, um, particularly the ending. The rest of the film would have been interesting to see on screen, but I do like what we got. But um, just to see him kind of take that step back mm-hmm. and really look at what he started, um, you know, it is so different from the rest of the films and it's purposefully done to be so. It's more meant to be real, but I can appreciate the other films for what they are and I love them so dearly. They're so much fun, but this film just hits differently than the rest of them. Um, you know, sitting here thinking about it, um, I don't have the best memory when it comes to like when I first started watching um, these movies. Like I, I was also kind of a late bloomer to horror. Like I was really into it probably late middle school, high school. Um, but I had always watched it as a kid. And this very well could have been the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I ever saw. Because I do remember watching it on TV all the time. USA loved to play Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And I always watched it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very possible. I could have seen this one first and then gone back and seen the others, which is kind of a, that's an interesting way to um, look at it. I think just um, what, what he was trying to bring the series back to, like seeing where it went and like already kind of appreciating like what his maybe original intention for it was. But I just always loved it. Um, just being um, a movie fan in general, I, I do love that it's kind of about making movies and that you get a little bit of the behind the scenes and the people that actually made the movies um, are in it. I love seeing Wes Craven on screen, obviously, because I adore him so much. And he just makes me smile and cry whenever I see him. Um, and yeah, I just always loved the um, kind of the more subtlety 
more subtle approach that this one takes than the sequels. Um, more about the fear and the tension building to the big climax rather than, you know, a bunch of just crazy scenes one after another, like in the sequels. Uh-huh. Interesting. So just kind of like having that slower build up over time, almost like, and you're right, for like an Elm Street movie, it's a bit more of a slow burn overall. Um, and it's a super small kill count, although none of the Elm Street movies are massive in that regard, which I think is one of the hallmarks of the series. Like, it's so highly regarded, and it's not necessarily because it has a massive body count. Um, I think I saw a graphic yesterday, and it had all of the major franchises, and it had, like, their kill count. Mm-hmm. Um, what it had on there was, like, Halloween and Friday the 13th were, like, in the mid-100s. Um, Elm Street had, like, 42. It had actually the same amount of kills as the Scream series did, with more than, like, twice the amount of movies overall. So that was kind of, like, a really interesting thing to see. That is interesting. Yeah. Is everyone on right now? Because my thing says trying to reconnect, but I hear uh, you, I'm, Jerry. I'm, I'm okay. on. Hey, All right. And I I'm think, definitely on. Okay. All right. Perfect. I think it's just something uh, on this end for the Google Doc. Not a problem. All right. So I have this like super weird, and I usually don't remember like the first time I've watched a movie unless it's like a really crystal clear setting. Um, and I kind of was like really thinking like, what is it about this movie that didn't connect with me? And I've kind of come to this conclusion that it's perhaps like the way I saw this movie has really colored the outlook for me. Um, not to get too deep, but I watched this movie on VHS with my then girlfriend at like her parents' summer place. And it was like right at the start of what was going to be like a really extended breakup where neither of us were willing to kind of rip off the bandaid. Um, but we both kind of knew like, eh, we probably should. Um, we had started dating in college like the previous semester. I had a crush on her for like the whole year. Um, she had this like awesome rainbow colored hair. Uh, she was really like always bouncing around campus. And we went to this really conservative school and you like, there were very few like punks and alt kids there in the early nineties. And we were just two of them. I stopped liking her because she had a shirt that had like her like a name tag that said Bob on it. And I had this thing <laughs> about not wearing clothes with your own name. I'm like, you're not Bob. I no longer like you. I had never spoken to her, by the way. Um, yeah, you can be pissed off, dog. I totally understand. It was pretty dumb on my part. Um, I had bought flowers that spring and like, I want to give them the first pretty girl I see in the street. And it happened to be her. So I just like went up. I'm like, I'm going to give these flowers to the first pretty girl I see today. And it's you, here you go. Have a good day. And then like walked away. Um, but after that, we started hanging out like more and more and eventually started dating. Um, and it was like, we started dating like on the one year anniversary and my dad died, which is really messed up. And I do not recommend starting a relationship on those days. Like probably not a good idea. Um, that summer, like my dad's death really hit me. My mom and I stopped getting along. I got kicked out of the house or I left. I don't even remember at this point, but we were just like fighting so much. I ended up like couch surfing for like most of that summer. Um, and the relationship kind of fell apart when my super Catholic mom 
found condoms in my room and confronted my then girlfriend about it, not telling, no one told me this happened. Um, So things got really awkward after that. And we ended up breaking up like right before the school year started. Yet she kept coming to my campus apartment because she was friends with other people I lived with. And it was always obvious she was there to see them. Like she wasn't messing with my head or anything. And she was always like, you're cool, but like there's no way we're getting back together. Um, So she was always clear on that. And it was just like a bad time. So I ended up like skipping a bunch of classes and just like quitting school after getting a bunch of incompletes, even though I only had a year and a half left. Um, So it took like 20 years for me to get my bachelor's after that. Um, So this is just a super long way of me thinking like when I watched this movie, I thought of like that really shitty time in my life. And it's always kind of like affected the way I've seen this movie. What's what's I find incredibly interesting about that is how I discovered this movie was kind of similar situations. I mean, obviously not specific to what happened to you, but it was like the worst, some of the worst moments in my life was right around the time I found this film. I discovered it and it had the opposite effect on me, you know, like growing up, like my parents separated when I was five. So my mom got like heavily into drugs. She kind of disappeared for a, a few years. We didn't see her. And then after that, the court said we had to go basically fly to visit her during summers. And it was always very awkward. You know, any listeners of our show and anyone who's read any of the personal things I've written know that that time of my life as a child was very abusive and that kind of stuff. So there was always like this really dysfunctional relationship between my mother and I. There was a lot of resentment from me towards her for letting things happen to me and so on. Well, in 1994, I went to go stay with my mom and for the summer and she seemed to have cleaned up her act. So I was like, you know what? Like, let's start over. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stay the whole school year with her instead of just the summer. <clears throat> and I, I kind of slowly start, and this will tie into New Amber. Uh, I sl- slowly started seeing her kind of get back into a lot of the really bad things that ruined our relationship before drugs and that kind of stuff. And I would always stay in my room and just watch movies, rent so many movies. You know, there was like the five movies for five days for $5 promotion going on in the video store. So I'd get shitload of movies. And I remember Man's Best Friend came out on VHS. And I was just like, this movie looks like shit, but you know what? I love these movies. Let me rent it. I rented it not knowing that New Nightmare had been made. Because around that time, I was just going through such a dark time. I lost touch with Bangori and all the things that kept my childhood going. And before Man's Best Friend started on the VHS, there was this trailer that I watched. And it was like this really like dreamlike trailer. And there was a lot of subtitles about the definition of dreams, but it never mentioned Freddy once. And I was watching this trailer as a 13, almost 14 year old going, wow, this looks really interesting. And then I saw Heather Langenkamp in and I was like, whoa, what is going on? And then I saw John Saxon and a lot of really quick cuts in the trailer. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is playing with my emotions. What is the deal? And then at the end of the trailer, it goes dark. And then Freddie pops out and has that line, you know, you miss me. And it blew my fucking mind knowing that a new Nightmare on Elm Street film was coming out. Like, it was it, that one moment of discovering that washed away every horrible thing that was going on. And I begged my mom, begged her, begged her, okay, we need to see this movie, New Nightmare, opening night. We have to see it. And my mom had no intention of taking me because she was going through a really dark time. 
And her friends invited her basically to go clubbing and binging on drugs and all this stuff for a whole night. And she had this one kid with her, me, and she needed an escape. So she was like, okay, if you don't tell your dad when you talk to him on your weekly phone call with your dad, I will take you to this movie, but you have to stay at home while I basically I go out all night while you're there by yourself at 13, uh, which is awful. And so she took me to see this movie and I knew what was coming the moment the movie would be over. I knew that I was going to go back. My mom would disappear all night and I'd be left by myself. So what I did is I sat there and I watched New Nightmare. And it's a big reason I love this movie so much because for once since the first film to me, it wasn't about Freddy this time around. It was about how Freddy impacted everyone that had experienced it, the actors, the director. It, it's, a, it's a film very much about what Freddy did for people, positive and negatively. You know, and I, I found myself lost in the movies the same way that I get lost every time I, I, I'd see Halloween growing up. I, I love the Halloween franchise with all my heart, but it's not because I love Michael Myers. It's because I've always identified with Laurie. You know, that was my character. That is my favorite character of all time, Laurie Strode. Like, Michael Myers is cool, but that's, that's what I love about horror. I love getting lost in it and getting an escape that if I'm going through such a really dark time, I lose myself in these movies. I find myself in, in Laurie and Halloween. I find myself in Nancy in the first Elm Street. And I find myself in Heather in this film. And I remember thinking the whole time, like I would get emotional in the theater. I would start crying watching this movie the first time opening night, knowing that in an hour and a half or a little under two hours, I'm gonna have to go into hell again. And I did, you know, I, I, I left, I went home. My mom disappeared all night. And, you know, and I basically, I tried to kill myself that night. Like, I, and this is like trigger for anyone, that, you know, drug stuff. So, I mean, you know, might want to fast forward this. But, you know, I, I found my mom's stash of drugs as a 13-year-old that night. And I did all of them just to try to kill myself. Because that moment of escapism with New Nightmare was over. And I, I think before I got a handle on substance abuse and not like self-medicating and, and I, before I learned other ways, like horror films... Horror films were always what I had, you know? Horror films were, were what I had to kind of like help me through these hard moments. And New Nightmare, you know, it, it's not like the other ones. It's, it's not fantastical. Uh, you know, I, I love Dream Master with a passion. But what I love about New Nightmare is the fact that like, it's about what happens when Freddy becomes that pop culture icon. When he loses the fear and he loses the danger, what's left? You try to suffocate the danger until it comes back stronger. And that's what I love about this movie. It's a very deep movie that maybe people didn't give enough credit to. That's my All take. Right. Damn. All <laughs> right. We'll be back next week with... <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, you know, I think that, you know, as much as we like to try to be objective about things, you know, I think like Jerry with your... With, you know, relating that story there, like how personal these films become to us and like how they, if not so much become our identity, they just become something that we identify with. Um, and it's, you know, they almost become as important to us as like the clothes we wear on our back. Like they're just mm -hmm. who we are at that point. Like you just don't even have to think about why you why these films are important to you or why you love them so much it's just it's is it'd be like asking well why are your eyes brown you know well, they, like, they almost become they almost become a heartbeat 
You know, my, my son Dexter, uh, he's 11 and he's had autism his whole life. And he was kind of uh, nonverbal for the first few years of his life. And he was bullied so badly as like preschool, kindergarten. Like I had to hold him back kindergarten a year because the kids were just so cruel to him. Mm-hmm. And horror films, God damn, dude, horror films saved my son's life mm-hmm. so many times. Like, he became so obsessed with John Carpenter films and movies where kids would just kids and just characters in general would stand up to their people and not even just horror films, but the horror, like the directors behind this, you know, a few months before he passed away, Wes Craven sent my son a package with like a signed photo and shirts and shit mm-hmm. just to make him feel better. You know, John Carpenter sent my son crazy out of print shit just to make my son feel better. Like these films, they get a bad rap and like the kind of mainstream public, like horror fans. Oh, you know, they're obviously like really satanic people that only wear black. Like, you know, I'm sorry, but like I've seen businessmen nine to five, you know, people, you know, that like love these movies just as much as like the darkest goth person. Right. Like, like it's not just the films. It's these stories are so important to us that in a lot of ways they become our lifeline and our heartbeat sometimes. I am the nine to five business person that does love the heck out of horror movies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, and I, I know that I'm going to call back to Wes a lot with what he, what he talks about with, with this movie, but there is so much about the, um, you know, what effect do horror films have on our kids? What, what do, do they make people do bad things? Do they make people evil? And Wes has always said that horror films, you know, people don't go to, to, to the films to watch, to like get scared. They're just addressing what they're already afraid of. And horror films don't create fear, they release it. And it goes all the way back to Greek mythology. If you don't give, if you don't address it, if you don't give it some kind of title or, uh, bring it to light or make it make it symbolized in some way then it's just going to keep getting worse and it's going to keep um affecting us and it's going to keep evolving and you have to create these bad stories essentially they're good stories but they're about very horrific things pretty much um in order to cope with everything that happens in life and like with the pandemic going on right now, studies have been shown that horror fans cope better with it because you know we've come to face our fears. And that's essentially also what Wes was talking about with this movie is that because you have to give life and confront these fears that you know you're able to trap these entities in this case freddy in this story and now that the films have ended freddy's out of the bottle what will he what form will he take next what's he going to do next and of course he's not satisfied with being where he is he wants to jump out of dreams and films and come into the real world and so i think that there's a big connection there um purposeful on wes's part between you know what impact do horror films have? It's actually more of a positive one than a negative one. And we need to have these horror stories, which is why he also includes a nod to Hansel and Gretel, which has been around for quite some time. And, and the purpose that these films serve in our world, lessons, relief, um, escape, 
things like that. I follow horror films um, and movies in general have just kind of always been um, a form of therapy for me. And I even um, I tweeted something out like just a couple of days ago that sometimes when I'm in an, like a bad state, I will instead of avoiding it, you know, I, I have to actively seek it out and watch things that will make me confront whatever whatever I'm feeling because usually it it ends up making me feel better instead of worse because I I don't ignore it and it doesn't those movies like that um, any kind of revenge movies or I always say that like sometimes when I'm feeling down what I need is just to watch something with a lot of blood just get it out and that's been especially true for me these last few years which have been like the most difficult years of my life. I've always thought that art and horror in particular and outsider art in particular, which I would, I would put horror mostly under that umbrella. It offers reflection, not instruction that when you're watching a horror movie, um, it's reflecting the world around it. It's looking at, and that's why I think horror is often so topical. And I think that's why horror is often so political um, and it taps into a lot of psychology and it taps into a lot of the sociological events of its time. Um, it's basically holding a mirror up to the world around it and saying like, this is how we cope with it. This is how we deal with it. This is how we make sense of things right now. I don't think that it offers instruction. I don't think that horror, I don't think that a person who watches a horror movie is going to become inherently more violent because they're watching horror movies. I don't feel like it's going to offer them a manual to um, go out and do bad things and hurt other people. By the same way, I don't feel like video games don't do that. Music doesn't do that. Like, you know, I think that they're used as scapegoats and they're used as boogeymen sometimes because number one, we don't want to believe that that sort of, inherent badness can live inside of any person but also it's a lot easier to find a scapegoat in a very easy answer and an easy solution rather than tackle the core of what might be wrong with a person or what might be wrong with the values of a culture that is kind of allowing for that sort of violence to thrive that and it, it opens this up so just profoundly in my opinion like there are things that i find incredibly difficult to talk to people about like not not just trauma but just pain that i've felt the last few years of various losses or emotions that like genre films i mean they they act to me sometimes as even a better and i'm not saying this to offend you mike as a therapist but just me personally uh, they've they've allowed me to kind of confront a lot of my feelings even more than going to therapy has. I think therapy is incredibly important, and and it's important to me too. But like, you know, I I've lost people in my life, you know, in the last couple to few years, you know, a good amount, you know, some close, some extremely close, uh, you know, and it's stuff that I wouldn't want to talk about uh, face to face to people. But then in the last couple of years, we've had genre films that have been so deeply enriched in that kind of stuff that it's allowed me not closure, but a way to deal with it. Like films like Al White's Starfish, like it, to this day, I cannot watch it without just bawling my eyes out. And it's one of my favorite films of all time already that uh, Daniel isn't real. 
I mean, as someone who struggled with suicidal ideation my entire life, watching that movie opened my eyes that I wasn't alone. And I think true, just excellent filmmakers can tap into that, whether it's loss, whether it's fear, whether it's hope, all those things. And I think Craven was so great at tapping into what makes people human. You know, that fear, uh, that pain, you know, just so many things he was, he was good at. He was just excellent, a master at, at tapping into those things to where like, if you didn't want to think about things, you know, too deeply, you could watch films like, you know, any of his films and be like, those are good movies on the surface, they're entertaining. But so many of his, film, so many of his films mean so much more that it allows you to kind of live vicariously and deal with how you feel about different things right. in those films. And Michelle, I'm interested in hearing a little more from you. Like you had mentioned how like you'll seek out, like depending on what is ailing you, like you'll kind of go through like the mental Rolodex, like this is what's troubling right now. This is like a film that taps into that and it's going to make me feel better. And I love, cause I've written about this before and how horror can definitely help deal with anxiety and trauma in particular because of the level of control that you have over the medium at that point um, and the empathy that it can bring out of you. But like, what are your go-tos or like, what do you specifically look for um, when you're tapping into this? Like, I'm always fascinated to hear from others. Like when they're saying like, I watch this movie when I'm feeling down and out because this is what it does for me. To get a little personal again, um, what I've been kind of dealing with the past few years is uh, like past trauma from sexual assault. And so um, revenge, like I said, revenge movies are just kind of my go-to, like especially the movie Revenge is always mm -hmm. good. Um, anything with, you know, a strong female character, which, you know, there's a ton of those in horror. I don't have anything specific, but um yeah just anything where there's somebody where i can see me like sh she's been through something and she's kicking ass like the evil dead remake i love that so much because especially the end like i said blood is cleansing to me mm -hmm. which, is, which i think horror fans understand um it just i think that's kind of maybe a representation of like whatever anger i might be feeling and just like seeing it all over the screen it's just like okay thank you yes i got that out and yeah i don't know if i have any like specific ones but yeah i do i i do kind of seek out like like i said like rape revenge movies are, are big mm -hmm. um just because um you know whatever i'm struggling with, it might not be even be anything specific at the time i'm just feeling like i can't stop thinking about it and it usually kind of helps just to kind of um let me know that my feelings are okay and then mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm still gonna be okay at the end because i'm still here and like there's there's nothing wrong whatsoever with that like it's it's so like cathartic at times right yeah and it feels like, wrong to say that like yes no. i like rape revenge movies but i do no, like it, it's it, it helps. it's so helpful yeah. as as a survivor of sexual assault childhood uh, myself like I remember in my teenage years, uh, I rented Miss 45. And I remember I watching that. that I, I know. I remember watching that movie and it's just like, yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it. You know, because like, it's cathartic to like watch these movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just saw that for the first time this year, actually. And I was like, yes. <laughs> that is such a good awesome. movie. I think that one I have not seen. That's like one oh, of the man. ones that's good. Like, 
I don't know why I haven't either. Like I usually wouldn't shy away from it. It's just, I've never popped it in. Um, so I want to talk a little bit. I want to shift away uh, a little bit and talk specifically. Let's try that again. All right. I want to shift away a little bit and talk some of the specifics about new nightmare and particularly how it came to be because in 91, we're told like Freddie's dead. Like there is no more nightmare in Elm street. New line is moving on. Um, and by this time, like they have gone from like kind of a small independent studio to getting massive success off of films like Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the secret of ooze uh, and the mask, which along like Jim Carrey's career, like we does like the mask dumb and dumber and oh god ace ventura right ace ventura all within a year and just like rockets to the stratosphere like at this point like bob shea is like in a real player in hollywood at this point and then they're knee deep in preparation and trying to pick a script for freddie versus jason and they're trying to get that process going and then wes craven approaches bob shea and says i've got an idea uh, Deandra, I think you might be better served. I think like you've like talked about this a lot and like you have really div- dove into the background of like Craven's original vision. Like what was his original idea and what was it? What like kind of called him to maybe want to return to this series like a decade after he gave it birth? Um, well, it was approaching the 10th year anniversary, of course. And by that time, there had been quite a large phenomenon that had happened around A Nightmare on Elm Street and everybody felt it. I mean, but everybody felt it in a different way. Heather felt it, Robert felt it, Wes, and they were all like thinking about, specifically rather Wes was thinking about, you know, how has this really changed our lives? But then he had lunch with Heather and she started to talk to him about what was going on in her life. She'd had a stalker because of the end of her uh, series, Just the Ten of Us. And he was like, well, what if we decided to make another A Nightmare on Elm Street that's basically about all of us and how we've been impacted by the franchise. And it, Heather wasn't a hundred percent on board because it faced like with a lot of horror movies, it faces people. It causes people to face their fears. And this for her was very, very real because it was derived directly from not only just the different elements of her life, like Chase is a special effects artist, David Anderson is her mm-hmm. husband. He works for AFX Studios. Um, she had had a little boy at the time and she had had a stalker. And of course she was still wrangling with this idea of, you know, Freddy Krueger. I'm kind of stuck as being Freddy's girl. I have, I don't know if horror is necessarily a good thing, Um, and she still struggles with it to this day. I will be honest with you. Please, Heather, do not listen to this. I'm telling your secrets. And um, so it was just kind of very prominent, and Wes didn't really have necessarily an idea of what he wanted to do. He was just kind of like, 
well, I have this rough idea. Let's put together some dreams. I'm going to have some. We'll write it kind of as it goes along. And then just so much crossed over with reality, even the use of having the earthquakes and mm -hmm. shooting mm -hmm. that real footage. I mean, yeah. it just got really close to home for a lot of people. And Robert England's even talked about it, that the film itself, was it was a struggle even for him because mm -hmm. it just it was just so close to who they are and the real events that have happened in their lives and he had to be very protective of heather during the filming because it it was so real to her um so it was just that reflection of the legacy that really caused west to want to make another nightmare movie and he didn't like i mentioned earlier he didn't really want it to be now the Freddy that we knew, all of that was done. They didn't bring back the kids. They didn't go with the same look. This was supposed to be something entirely different, something organic, something more like a documentary. That's why you don't see the credits till the very end. That's why Freddy doesn't have burns. He's got split skin and all of this, all of these kind of elements uh, that are incorporated into it because he did want to touch so deeply on um, these real elements of the impact of horror, specifically on everybody involved in the films. And wouldn't it be safe to say that at this point in like 1994, given that like Jamie Lee Curtis is still about four years away from returning to the Halloween franchise with H2O, and she had kind of moved on from horror about a decade, more than a decade prior, um, Heather Langenkamp probably would have been at this point the most prominent of the final girls, given the commercial success of A Nightmare on Elm Street, given the fact that it had a lot of critical success as well, given Freddie's kind of like omnipresence in the pop culture in the late 80s up to the early 90s, uh, and the fact that uh, Heather had returned for two movies, that I would say like it is not unfair to say that at this stage, Nancy would have been your kind of go-to final girl over Laurie Strode. And I wouldn't, it wasn't until like H2O and the return of Jamie Lee to the franchise that, that maybe she became kind of your go-to. Yeah. I say that, that, that's a, that's a pretty fair call out, especially given that Freddie's dead had just concluded a couple of years prior and Heather had attended the screening. So she was there, she was prominent. She had her son with her at the time. And uh, so she was definitely still involved in the world of A Nightmare on Elm Street Invisible to the public in that way. And because she'd also concluded just the 10 of us where there were three members mm -hmm. of the cast who were also a part of the Elm Street films um, that it was constantly a joke on the show about having Freddie in the background about, you know, this looks like something out of Nightmare on Elm Street. And so Heather still kind of, even though she was removed from the franchise, she still had a lot of ties to it. So she never quite got away from it entirely. Right. And I think, that ex oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that like she tackles that in a lot of depth and like, I am Nancy, like that documentary. Yeah. Where you yeah. see her, like she, you'd see her really no joke, like wrestling with the legacy of these movies and her legacy within them. It's a really fascinating watch. Well, hadn't she just come off of the uh, Nancy Kerrigan film as well? What? Was that before this or after that? The film where she played Nancy Kerrigan? Oh, yeah. And Nancy, the inside yeah. story. So, I mean, like, 
you know, she she was doing these like non-genre films and like they were really good. But like, unfortunately, when you get and this is nothing bad about horror, but like once you get locked into that, you know, like not a lot of people get super successful at branching out like the way that Jamie Lee Curtis did in the early 80s where she's like, I'm done with horror, like flat out, you know, and I, I feel like almost you know, and I'm, this is just my own personal opinion, but I almost feel like, like maybe Heather embracing Elm Street as much as she did, maybe didn't do her as many favors, mm-hmm. you know, because she's extremely talented. Like, even in like recent films, like a few years ago, uh, The Butterfly Room, I, I loved her yeah. in that movie. Well, too, and it helps having like, in, in Jamie Lee Curtis's case, and like, look, she's extremely talented and amazing and I adore her. But it helps having like Janet Leigh and Tony yeah. Curtis, who are mm-hmm. Hollywood royalty, as parents, because like some doors are going to be more open for you than they might be for others. Um, but I like some of the crazy ideas that that Craven almost went down in this movie. Like he talks about this visual of him basically like slicing off his eyelids, um, so he can't fall asleep, and almost feeling like compelled by some outer force to complete the script and he's like driving it around the back of a van that's careening down the highway um just churning out page after page because if he doesn't he feels like he's gonna die and like what were some of the other like uh deandre you mentioned like a different ending to this movie that i don't remember ever reading about like what were some of the other ideas that were tossed around for this the one that i think is really interesting is uh kind of having Robert face off against Freddy. Um, oh, the I point where he's pretty much killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that to me, because even though this is Heather's movie, and to me, based on what Wes was trying to say by making the film, it makes sense that it was, ended up being Heather's movie because there had to be a little bit more of a struggle. While Robert would have a, a struggle, he was very much embracing Freddie and he still mm-hmm. is. I mean, he just loves the heck out of Freddie. It would have been an interesting story, um, but I still would have loved to see him in some way looking face to face with Freddie. And I think that that encounter was, was sorely missed, but at the same time, I don't know if it would have necessarily worked in the movie and taken kind of, people too much in the wrong direction of saying, well, you know what? I want more of that. Why isn't this about Robert? And then they just kind of get distracted from the whole thing. But I wish we would have had more of -hmm. Robert just maybe coming face to face, even if it was a shadow or something. Um, But, but yeah, that, that scene always stood out to me. Cause he just drops out. Like he just, he's gone like about an hour 20 into the movie. Like you get his mm-hmm. voicemail, like this is Left Robert town. England. I'm peacing out. See ya. And that's it. <laughs> God. I laugh at that every time. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, and like, wasn't Michael Berryman in the original drafts basically going to be like Wes Craven's assistant. In oh, that? that would be awesome. It makes me feel so bad because how many times has that guy just been like, accidentally thrown to the side whether it's in like an early draft of this or like his entire role in the crow like deleted michael berryman in the maid's role for wes craven (laughs) he's serving him tea by the poolside when when heather comes to visit like give me that i also Um, i also love the fact that we get this return to like serious nightmare on elm street but bob shea still 
has to be in this movie. But it makes sense, doesn't it? No, no, no. I, I get it, but it just it just makes me laugh. Like how many times Bob Shea's just like put me in coach. He's actually good in this, though. He's actually yeah. like I thought. Really, I love that little moment when the phone rings and he just stops dead in his tracks. Like that's a genuinely spooky moment in a movie this that is, I thought this sometimes. His, his role in this is to like retroactively proving Jack Shoulder wrong by saying I am an actor. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Jack Shoulder. You'll never work in this town again. I should have been Grady's dad, Jack Shoulder. Totally could have done it. But I love how his office is decorated in Freddy regalia. Like, absolutely mm-hmm. adore it. There's actually a little moment, like, right before that that I really like and never caught until in it. I think we'll talk about it more when we talk about the role of Heather in this movie and the struggles she might have had. But when she shows up at New Line for her appointment... The um, assistant running the desk has no idea who she is. She's like, I'm here to see Bob. Like, well, is he expecting you? And it's not until like the casting agent comes out. Who's the real casting agent for these movies? Like comes out and recognizes her and pulls her in. But, you know, I think that's one of the real struggles that uh, Miss Langenkamp really experienced was like not being able to escape the shadow of these movies and maybe not having things turn out for her as she anticipated after the success of, part one and three and you know being on a sitcom that ran almost 100 episodes you would think she might be more known but i thought that was a nice little moment that i didn't ever notice until re-watching this again last night i love that that part of it and i love that they physically show um heather being in the shadow of freddie it mm-hmm. and then jumping off to robert being just pound hounded by fans and there she is eating i think it was grapes mm-hmm. um off by herself and because freddie is so prominent kind of everybody else it's like eh, whatever um but i and it is so funny because um you know it 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 really does. It's so funny that it comes off that way. And then many years later, she comes out with I am Nancy, which is kind of her facing head on what she is kind of dealing with in the beginning of Wes Craven's Mm -hmm. new nightmare a little bit and being in that shadow, not only of having to deal with the Freddy phenomenon, um, but not getting enough of the attention as Nancy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm really glad that this movie is from her perspective rather than Robert's because it kind of shows like it seems like he got all the the good parts of playing freddy you know he came back for every movie and the fans love him like when he shows up on the on the the television interview that she does the fans go crazy and they have the freddy signs or whatever and she's just kind of in the background and afraid and um when she says uh, in the interview like you know i'm doing a lot of tv now like that kind of made me think like well back then like wasn't it sort of like kind of a bad thing for yes, actors yes. to go from movies to TV. Even right. though it's like totally opposite now. So it, and you know, she has a stalker. And so she got, she got sort of pushed aside, even though she was like so integral to the movies and so important. Like how much is she really known? Like outside of horror fans, like you know, who actually knows, everyone knows Freddie. Like, does anybody actually remember Nancy Thompson if they're not like a horror fan? It kind of makes me think of, like like realized serial killers almost like everyone knows serial killer names but does anybody remember the names of their victims 
No, Even exactly. horror fans in themselves didn't come to appreciate Nancy. I mean, because me, the whole reason I love horror, the whole reason I got into A Nightmare on Elm Street was because of Nancy. I mean, she's the cornerstone of everything I do. And just, it wasn't until like 2015 that anybody started going to conventions and dressing as Nancy. And even mm-hmm. Robert England made a comment at Horror Hound Indianapolis 2015 when he was like, yeah, it was Freddie for so many years, but now I'm seeing other characters like there's a Nancy, there's a Nancy. And, and you know, Freddie was so prominent and even still, um, I've, I've mentioned Nancy to a couple people and they'd be like, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah, she was in the Nightmare movies, right? And, you know, she just doesn't, they don't stand out as much. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know what it will take, but there's just, I guess, something cooler about the villains that makes people instinctively want to go to them because they're bold and because they're kind of doing the things that we can't necessarily do in life. Um, but the horror heroes have so much behind them. I just think it takes a certain kind of, individual to really be drawn to them and i know Mm. that jerry had mentioned his draw to the final girls i'm very much drawn to the final girls um yes and i lost my train of thought but i was talking about heather and how she was (laughs) how yeah especially it has been so prominent especially if it's like a franchise and with um nightmare where robert is playing him for every single movie he's obviously people see him more than the other characters which just kind of rotate out usually with mm-hmm. each new installment yeah. so they're the ones that people really cling on to is the villains just because they're cool and um robert uh, like we said he he loves being freddie and he he embraces that so much and i love that about him but um he just i don't know i, know, <laughs> I don't want to say like he more. overshadows but you know, he but just he kind does, of overshadows other characters. It's a big personality. He's so, yeah, because yeah, he's right. so big. He's a big personality. He's got this really theatrical presence. And, you know, he's never... I, I think what separates Robert Englund from a lot of persons that have appeared in horror, not just the fact that he played Freddy, but he's always embraced it. And there's always been, to me, like he understands what brought him to the dance. So he's always kind of embraced and he's like an extremely talented performer. And it's funny that before he played Freddie, he was worried he was going to be typecast as like the nice guy because of his (laughs) role in the, the miniseries. And, you know, he went on to become like this iconic horror performer. I do want to mention while we're on the subject of Robert Englund that this this well-versed Shakespearean actor does happen to say that his favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Nightmare, Yes, Heather Langenkamp told me that too. Um, (laughs) Heather Langenkamp was the first person I ever met at a horror convention and I had her sign my DVD of New Nightmare. Mm -hmm. I kind of whispered to it as I gave it to her. I was like, I think this is the best one or like my favorite one of the series. And she was like, I do too. I, you know, and Michelle, to your point about like at this point, wouldn't, you know, saying like, oh, I'm doing TV, be almost like slumming it. Like I'm actually reading this book right now. It's it's called Are You in the House Alone? A TV movie compendium. And it's basically about like the history of television movies from like the early 60s when they first came out, like the movie of the week that you would see in like ABC and NBC and CBS in the 70s and 80s. Like, you know, your Salem's Lot, your It's, your stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And they talk about how when these first started, like movies of the week were a way for performers that like were no longer getting 
plum movie roles theatrically they're like well i can at least get work like this like and they would be very honest and say like i'm doing this because i need the work um so you're right like tv wasn't seen like it is now but what's funny is now like if a show pulls in like 10 million viewers it's considered an amazing hit um but back then 10 million viewers would get you canceled. Like these things are pulling in 30 to 50 million viewers a week. Like it's incredible how things have kind of shifted. I uh, recently interviewed the cast of Ratched on this video call. And when it got to Sharon Stone, she was talking about like, well, yeah, this was all new. Like I've never done TV, you know? And it was almost like a, oh, not TV, you know? And it's just like, it's come such a long way. You know, mm-hmm. like even in, just in horror television, you know, back in the day, you'd yeah. get like miniseries here and there, you know, you'd get Tommy Lee Wallace's It or you'd get, you know, a rare, really fun one, like The Initiation of Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, you'd get like movies like that. But TV movies, unless they were HBO originals, you didn't really get much genre. Now it's just like not only is television alive and doing well with A-list stars, but I mean, there's, you know, Kevin Bacon was in the following you know, you, you get, you get uh, Hannibal, you get all these genre television shows that push the boundaries right. and they're being received just as well as like these mm-hmm. movies do. Absolutely. And in some cases more so because you can draw things out longer. All right. Speaking of maturing, um, I want to talk about not necessarily maybe where horror is at this moment. Cause I think we're going a little bit, you know, we have barely even scratched the surface of this movie and I'm trying to be respectful of everyone's time. But mm-hmm. what I do think is like, what's interesting to me is like at this point, Elm street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, they're not really teen slashers anymore. They're not centered on a bunch of high school kids that are out partying or looking to get laid. They're a lot more grown up. And audiences that would have been teens when these movies first hit, like when 1978 and Halloween, 1980 with Friday the 13th, mid 80s with Elm Street. These are now young adults that are settling into careers. They've got long-term partnerships. They're raising families. And I think that's really reflected in the entries of the series at this time. Like, I know you hate Jason Goes to Hell, Jerry, but what's really interesting is a that movie's amazing but b it focuses on like <laughs> it focuses it on is amazing. A, it is i love it so much you're going to hear me talk more about it on another show soon um it focuses on a young single mother that might be one of the last relatives of Voorhees, but ca- older character actors like aaron buck and stephen duke have like key roles in this movie the Curse of Michael Myers is about a single mother that's going back to school and trying to like carve out a new life for herself. And New Nightmare is all about this established actress with a young child wrestling with the pitfalls of a career that maybe didn't turn out as she wanted. It's with Craven and Shay and England and Langenkamp all wrestling with this legacy. No, totally. And I, I think... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was oh, just no, going to say that like audiences are being asked to mature with these movies. And I think it's really telling that audiences weren't willing to do that. Like all three of the movies I just mentioned are amongst the lowest grossing in terms of the box office of the series. So is this one, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. 
I think people just wanted exactly what they got before. And, you know, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I, I write or die for, for the Friday 13th films, even though like all of them are basically the same goddamn mm -hmm. movie, you know, and that works for me. Jason but, on like, a boat. Jason, Jason on a boat. Jason against a psychic. Jason, Jason in a bar. Corey Feldman. Exactly. But like, I, I do, even though I'm not a big fan of Jason Goes to Hell, I do appreciate the fact that that movie and Halloween 6 with its senior citizen cult and Paul Rudd in his magical runes and that bullshit. Like that, or, or like this movie, like it's, it's very much a meta take on like not only Nightmare on Elm Street, but its effects on and everyone. You know, like you, you all mentioned that scene where, you know, Heather's watching Robert England as Freddy in the talk show. Like when it goes slow motion, there's that kind of realization of what has this character become? It's become this staple in children and you know families and grown-ups all their lives but it's so different from where it started you know and I, I think these bold takes these bold sequels they need to happen you know they might like they not might not latch out like latch on to like every viewer but I think it's important to kind of breathe new life into a franchise or else mm -hmm. you know and I'm not trying to insult Freddy's Dead fans or else you get to a film like Freddy's Dead which, we did that enough be, last week, Jerry. Right? You insulted Which, you, them you, enough last week. You get to that film, and it's pretty much a parody of the films that came before it. You know? Consider me insulted. Sorry. <laughs> I'm I insulted as well. Um, all right. Speaking of... Oh, I also of... like, too, that this is, um, this is an adult horror movie, too, in a way. Like you were saying, like, we have to mature along with it i always love horror movies where adults are the, the main protagonists mm -hmm. and it's always so refreshing to see that they're the main characters they're always they believe it right away and they don't try to you know they don't try to say like this isn't true this isn't what's really happening and they actually do something about it and they're actually smart about what how they go about yeah. it Oh, I agree. Absolutely agree. Like you're in when they do make stupid decisions, it's fun to see adults make dumb decisions as well, too. So it is. And I think maybe as I get older, I appreciate because like I watch and I love modern horror and I I understand that sometimes like a movie will come out like, say, Truth or Dare by Blumhouse. And I am not the target audience for that movie. Like that movie's not made for a 45 year old suburban dad. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like if I, you know, for me to come down like super harsh on a movie like that, it's like, dude, it's not for me. It's made for me 30 years ago and that's okay. I don't have to love everything that comes out. Um, but like having these movies that maybe feel a little bit more adult and maybe a little bit more contemporary uh, or maybe deal with some of the stuff that I'm going through, like that's a good thing. And I'm looking at like, who are the major villains of this time? And it's like, it's Hannibal Lecter. It's Annie Wilkes. It's John Doe in seven. You have these massive, big budget, star studded, universal monster remakes with like Francis Ford Coppola doing Dracula, Kenneth Branagh doing Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Robert fucking De Niro coming off of back to back doing like Goodfellas in Casino. It's like, yeah, I'll play Frankenstein. What the fuck? Why not? Um, <laughs> Jack Nicholson and Michelle, <laughs> Pfe Michelle Pfeiffer goes from being Catwoman to... Oh, and Wolf? In Wolf. <laughs> I love Wolf. <laughs> right? 
yeah. with Jack Nicholson playing Jack Nicholson um, and James Spader being a creep. Like, I, who would have thought James Spader is he, could pull off a creep? <laughs> who, you know, before there was Robert California, who would have thought he could pull off a creep? Um, <laughs> my God. Is James... going off of Michelle Pfeiffer, another one of my favorites is What Lies Beneath. Yes. Yeah. With oh, Harrison yeah. Ford. Yeah. Two of them in a horror movie, and it's totally, it totally works. It's totally believable. And mm-hmm. She's amazing in it. So many nightmares from that movie. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do believe that Harrison Ford has killed women. I think that, like, just for fun, (laughs) just just to pass a Tuesday. With his plane or? (laughs) Bare hands. With his his bare hands. All right. I want to, speaking of killers, I want to move on um, and get your takes on this new kind of Freddy. What do we think of the decision of this movie to kind of remove freddy krueger from the continuity and really like have him established because of the movies rather than be a part of the moparol i think it's a like this isn't really freddy though mm-hmm. it's what i kind of like i like his whole explanation of like yeah this is a nightmare movie but this is not freddy this is something entirely different this is an entity that's somehow like gotten into Freddy. I don't really know the explanation of mm-hmm. what they say like but he's sort of embodied Freddy and he likes it and that's why he stayed there and what's how they were able to keep him in in that body throughout the as they kept making more and more movies so this this isn't Freddy and it definitely doesn't feel like Freddy like like they even say in the movie he's he's definitely darker and he's more evil and I always liked that about him and like he there's there's a little bit of the wisecrack in mm-hmm. every now and then, but he definitely feels intimidating and scary. Yeah. this one to me. It goes back to that first and second movie when there mm-hmm. are wisecracks, but they're meant to kind of like twist the knives in further rather yeah. than make you laugh. Like these, are, yeah, they aren't funny. They're like, oh god, that's like a really horrible thing to mm-hmm. say. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, um, like I said, I really did not like this at first because it wasn't the same look or anything about it but he is made to be more sinister he's made to look like more of a demon and that the glove is now a claw who's an extension of him and he does return to those evil roots and robert has talked about how he was just ready to come back and step back to where he was and wes was like no let's Let's take it in a different direction. Let's take it way back, but let's do a little something different. So Robert had to pretty much prepare and uh, get back to that more um, sinister version of Freddie. And I think that they really accomplished that. And I think um, like myself and basically in relation to everything that had already been talked about that, you know, you have to reach sometimes a certain level of maturity to appreciate why Freddie is the way he is in this movie because it it makes sense why he looks different because he isn't the same Freddie. so i think they did a really good job of kind of differentiating that and i love the pleather pants and the trench coat i mean come on now <laughs> he looks badass heck I, yeah fashion statement i think it's smart to realize too that like by the time of this movie, if you were to just make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie, like Freddy couldn't go back to being scary. Like, because it wasn't like it was this ebb and flow of a character. Like there is a very clear linear progression of the way the character is portrayed in part one 
to Jerry's point of him being like a cartoon character in Freddy's Dead. Like, it's not a shock that that happened. Like, you see it pro- change progressively from mm-hmm. one to two to three to four. And, like, to me, four is kind of the turning point of that, the point of no return, where, like, R- Randy Harlan has said, like, Freddy is the star of this movie, and this is why audiences are coming out. They almost soften his character in some ways. So you couldn't go back... Like it, if you kept Freddie in that continuity, it would have been too jarring of a change. I think it wouldn't make sense. But it's a testament that, to England that there's this character he's played for six movies, and it's so recognized that he's able to shift gears on the character and play it much differently than even the first movie. But it still feels recognizable. Like yes, I get what you're saying, Michelle. Like it's quote technically not Freddie, but it's still feels like Freddy. Yes. Does that make sense? More so than, say, Jackie Earl Haley doing a character in the remake, which we'll get to eventually. <laughs> I, I also think that it's interesting that uh, there's so many callbacks in this film to the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I, that's one of the things I love about that is another thing that I loved about Halloween 2018. There were very specific things that, that The Shape did in 2018's Halloween, that he would have done in the original Halloween, you know, like very specific calls callbacks to who that character was in the original darker film. And I feel like this one, even like recreating certain scenes, you know, like it, it, it does a great job at almost not declaring, but saying, Hey, this is that Freddy, but kind of darker in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, it, it's, it's, like I'm not the callbacks feel organic. Yes. They do. They do. They don't yeah. feel forced. They yeah. it feels like an extension of the first point. film just kind of pushed forward. Michelle, can you run with that a little bit? Talk to me about how they feel organic. Um, just like I don't know. They just they don't feel like you said, they don't feel forced. They just they're scenes that you you recognize, but they also make sense in the scene that they're happening in in this movie. Um, like with the the coffee pots, you know, she starts drinking a lot of coffee because mm-hmm. she wants to stay awake because she's knowing Freddie's getting closer. And um, at the end, um, she's trying to get to Dylan, um, running up the stairs in the in the underworld, and you know, this her feet, you know, get stuck in the stairs from like that scene. And even um, even oh god, what's her name? Julie, Julie's death, which is the same as. Tina's death. Um, it's this one kind of feels like a little bit more brutal mm-hmm. than Tina's death, but even that kind of uh, makes sense because you know Dylan. They they just gave Dylan the the shot to make him go to sleep, so he falls asleep mm-hmm. for a second, and Freddie's able to come back, and she's there. So guess what? That she's got to go. So they just they make it make sense while also calling back to the original, like for the fans and also for the characters. And I think part of the reason why it makes sense is because um, kind of how Wes explains is that Heather played Nancy. She was the first one to defeat him. And so this particular entity, because he's kind of lived as Freddy all these years, that's what he knows. Yeah, he wants to relive it. He wants to recreate it. He wants to put her through that because to him, he sees her as Nancy. And so he's just pulling out of not necessarily creating his own new death. He's just pulling from the reference source. And I think that's, that's, 
perfect. That's how I saw it too. Like he learned from the movie. So it makes perfect sense that that's what he would mimic. Unlike, you know, and again, like we're going to trash the remake plenty at the beginning <laughs> of November. Um, so there'll be plenty of time to do that to like with one of the stars <laughs> with one of the oh, stars no. of the movie um <laughs> the callbacks in that movie felt like studio notes saying like you're obligated to put in these shots and mm. all those ever did was remind me that there was a better movie that was made yeah like there's a better version of this yeah but in this one it's like oh it's just another version of the scene that also works and, and it's a, just, as, just as good yeah, and it's a great framing device that doesn't make it feel forced. Um, other things that I kind of pulled from, like not just the first movie, obviously the opening scene mirrors the creation of the glove in the first movie. And I like how it pulls back and you see you're on a set at that point. And then you find out you're in a dream. Um, the four slash marks that are created when the walls part during the earthquake, it didn't only remind me of like the locker shot in part four, but also it reminded me of Freddie coming through the wall in the first movie. And just in that it showed there's this really thin fabric that separates his world from our world. Um, Dr. Hefner in the operating room kind of remind me of Dan in part four when he sees Freddie under the mask. Um, Dylan getting kind of like picked up and moved through traffic. It just made me remind me of like Freddie is like the puppet master. Yeah. And then I think the big one is like in the, what was it? Talk show scene. I couldn't help but think of like, you're all my children now. And like the pool scene mm-hmm. part two, there are all these like clever callbacks that don't feel forced to me. And I think they like add to the movie. Jeez, I like this movie a hell of a lot more. That, that did. there's something, there's something uh, that I kind of slipped my mind while we were talking about how the callbacks are organic. See, the callbacks aren't there just to please people. The reason the callbacks are there and the reason that a lot of the scenes are recreated, because the Freddy and New Nightmare isn't going against Heather. The Freddy and New Nightmare thinks Heather is Nancy, which is why he says Mm -hmm. you, which Mm -hmm. he's trying to put Heather through the same things he put Nancy through. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting take on it. I think Yeah, Yeah. it's all part of the story Mm -hmm. that he finally comes out when she accepts it too. And when she says, "Um, I love you too, daddy to John. Yeah. That's That's when he, I know. I would get finally able to break through. Look, probably plenty of ladies said, I love you, daddy, to John Saxon. That man, <laughs> that man, I mean, have you ever looked at a picture of John Saxon from oh like the my 50s? God. That man could get it, okay? <laughs> okay, but Believe listen it. to this. This daddy might be a Saxon. controversial opinion, but somebody pointed it out somewhere and I can't unsee it. Young John Saxon looks a lot like Zac Efron and Zac Efron is quite the hunk and so was John sure. Saxon. I mean- I have put pictures side by side and I was like, guys, Do listen, don't this? hate me for this. Oh, Young yes. John Saxon. Oh my Do gosh, we... somebody has made it before oh my God. he stumbled. He does. I, yeah. I know. Sorry about the evil voice there, so but yeah. I, I, I'm just going to go on the record and say plenty of women have called John Saxon daddy. All right. It's all I'm going <laughs> to. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, gonna keep you. He does look like Zac Efron, though. That's amazing. I've never mm-hmm. seen these pictures before. So God. he 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 really and he looked forty when he was thirty. He looked forty when he was seventy. Rest in peace, John Saxon. God love right. him. Oh, I um, love you. Miss you. So I want to ask one of the 
not crit, one of the, the things that this movie is cited for is kind of being like a trial run for Scream, almost like a proto-Scream, which I don't know how I feel about that. Scream being my second favorite series behind A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm not sure I quite see it so much, but I want to get nah. the panel's opinion <laughs> overall. <laughs> Moving on. Um, do we see it? I mean, do we see no. it that way? Because it's like a trial run in terms of like, it, it's a movie that acknowledges horror movies exist. Okay, but this is, this is what drives me nuts is, and, oh, God, I'm trying not to piss people off this episode. But when you think of meta, and I, I really detest that word, but mm-hmm. I get it. When you think of that, people instantly go, oh, meta horror? Obviously scream. But motherfuckers, have you not seen Popcorn? <laughs> like, like it's, it wasn't the first movie I haven't. that touched. Yeah, oh, no, I, 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 God, no, do no. It. It's I've great. seen Popcorn. <laughs> yeah. but, but, like, there were other movies before Scream that kind of took a look at what made horror films horror films and that stuff. I don't see New Nightmare having any connection with Scream aside from Wes. Like, like I'm not... I don't either. Tra- no. In the 90s, I'm trashing, yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. trashing Scream as a film. I'm just saying, like, it's not the end-all be-all to, like, horror films that acknowledge that horror films exist in, in the movie itself. Well, you go to hell, Jerry. You just go to hell. I love Scream. <laughs> I'm kidding, Jerry. I'm, I kid. Um, but, all right. So I guess, like, to me, it's dealing a lot more. And I think, DeAndre, you had said this earlier, the responsibility of creators or the role horror plays in shaping our outlook and shaping media. And I think we see that, especially in Dr. Hefner's character played by the wonderful Fran Bennett, who seems like really hell bent on blaming Heather for she's Dylan's the one community. that always scared me. I think when yeah. I was a kid, she's her, awesome. not Freddie. Freddie Krueger. The mean old man with the claws. <laughs> you don't let your boy watch your movies, do you? <laughs> um, do you but what sense? do we, what do you all feel? What do you all feel that uh, Craven is aiming for with New Nightmare? Like, because he's not someone that's like, I'm just going to tell a movie to scare people. Like, he was one of the more cerebral and intelligent creators that were out there. What do you think he's aiming for with this movie? That character reminds me so much of people I've dealt with in, in my personal life. Like, I, I once had to go to court regarding my kids because I showed my oldest, who is now 18, the Carrie remake the day it came out, <laughs> which is such a tame movie. But yeah. I actually had to go before a judge and had people like Sean Keller and A.J. Bowen write me letters about like horror films being actually productive for children. Like that character in this movie is every person who doesn't understand what horror films mean to people and how like profound they can be to people that they just discount them as being awful, violent trash. That's what that character is to me. Every person who just does not fucking get it. What's kind of interesting that I just thought of too is like, even if she showed um, her kid Dylan horror films, wouldn't she kind of be like one of the perfect people to show a kid horror films because she's made them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's one of the reasons why i asked my parents one time um like because they didn't censor anything that i watched when i was younger and i asked them one time i was like well why did you let me watch whatever i wanted they were like um because you were smart and you knew it wasn't real and we saw that you were actually like curious about like making movies and, like mm-hmm. how it was done like that's why i liked 
a lot of movies is that I was like, oh, that's really cool. How did they do that? Like I knew that it was fake. So that's kind of interesting. Like she, she could absolutely show Dylan this stuff and then like explain exactly how it was done or like they were on a movie set in her dream. But I mean, they could have done that in real life because the dad's, a, I don't know, an effects artist, you know? You know, I showed Ada the scene from A Texas Chainsaw Massacre where Franklin gets it at a really young age. And I said, this is what happens to people that don't eat their vegetables. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and then it all depends on the kid, too, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But I Listen, think that we're going to show you martyrs. If yeah, you but Ada will know, like my daughter, who's 10, her favorite movie right now is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. We did a drive-in uh, this past week at a haunted attraction where they showed American Werewolf in London and The Thing. And she's like, oh, at the end of this movie, like, um, you can see, you know, Kurt Russell's breath, but not uh, Childs. So, like, that guy, he's The Thing. You know, like, she gets into it in that way. She sees kind of how it's made. But then, like, she'll scream in horror when, like, a dude in a clown outfit starts banging on our window while we're watching the movie, <laughs> which is awesome um but yeah like i think you know to your point michelle when you see how it's made and you see like this is just my mom and this is the job she goes to it can be a lot less scary but to me it's interesting because nancy for a lot of this movie or heather for a lot of this movie she kind of comes off like a scold a lot of the times uh and i think that that is I wonder, and I wish I could have asked Wes how much of that was kind of what he wanted to go for and how much of it was based in who Heather actually is mm -hmm. because she is and can be a little bit um, very much still doesn't necessarily believe. She is kind of like the way she is in the beginning of New Nightmare. Interesting. Basically. Really? Sometimes, God, she's going to kill me. Okay, um, but <laughs> she... Because for many years, I mean, I'd go to conventions and she'd be like, DeAndre, why are you here? Why don't you mm -hmm. save your money and go save the pandas? <laughs> and I'd be like, because I want to, because these are my friends. And she's like, oh, okay. But she, and I think she's mentioned it in several interviews as well. So maybe I'm not giving away uh -huh. the tea here, but that she's never really been into horror films, even though she's made one of her own, more of a drama in a way. And she makes a lot of them with her husband. Um, it's not really something that she necessarily feels is good. It'd be interesting to interview her to see if it's changed at all since she has made mm -hmm. one. Um, and kind of going from there. Um, but yeah, she, she does come off that way. And when I read the new nightmare book, it was, it was off-putting for me at first because I'd loved Heather so much and I thought she seemed really fun and genuine in interviews and I was looking forward to meeting her because I hadn't yet and I remember reading the book and she got into the limo and um the guy started mentioning about how she was in a nightmare on Elm Street and was like oh here it goes again here's another fan and I was like geez I really hope she's not like this mm -hmm. and she's not necessarily like that I'm not in her head but she does have some tendencies to feel that way that even though she's behind the scenes and she knows how they're made she doesn't always think that horror movies are a good thing and also in, in that sense, she kind of reflects the ideas of most parents that horror movies aren't 
a good thing and that we don't need to have them around. And she kind of has to come face to face with them a little bit later on. And she goes through a significant amount of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the end, she ends up reading Dylan, the script itself of what they all went through, which kind of maybe she comes to a realization that, you know, horror movies aren't all that bad. There are much worse things like Freddy Krueger actually coming after you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that she realizes Mm -hmm. that she can't protect her kid. I mean, one thing that Wes said, I was listening to the commentary earlier, a thing that he likes to bring into his films is how the the children are often a lot smarter than the parents or they, they catch on a lot faster than the parents to what's going on. And so she sees that in Dylan that, you know, she recognizes that, you know, he knows something's wrong and he's just getting steadily worse and worse, you know, throughout the movie. Like she can't protect him anymore. She can't, just say like you this is this is bad for you if i if i help you get through it with me you know maybe that'll be a little bit bit better i can't talk wow no totally no i i know what you mean (laughs) i i also think it's really interesting you know heather kind of having that outlook because it's very similar like jamie lee curtis hates horror films Mm -hmm. like hate notoriously hates them does she hate them like well okay she she gets scared of them but i mean mm-hmm. there was that thing a while back where she was talking about parents that bring their kids and say oh my kid loves halloween and she's like what the hell is wrong with you parents mm-hmm. you know like it, it's interesting that these people that have such iconic status in these movies really don't dig them but i mean yeah. I, I get it but like it, i don't know it's interesting but i think it's like it They're becomes a job yeah it becomes a job it becomes a I, role yeah. and it's interesting like we you know, hash over all this minutia in little detail and like dive into like the nooks and cranny of like these things that are like 40 years old because that's what we do. And for like the performers, sometimes it's like, yeah, it was a paycheck. You're like John Carpenter. And I think John Carpenter has such a, <laughs> such I love a that guy. he has such a healthy outlook. And I said this, like we on psychoanalysis did, uh, had Michael Rothman on for an episode coming up talking about Halloween as his ultimate comfort movie. And I talked about Carpenter, like his attitude has always been like, I'm going to put out my hand and you're going to put a check in it. And based on the number of zeros that are at the end of that check, I will give you my enthusiastic, (laughs) enthusiastic consent to do whatever the fuck you want with my material because I don't care. Um, just pay me. And Stephen King has said, like, you can make, with the exception of The Shining, which is such a personal tale to him, Stephen King has always said, you can make, do whatever you want if you were going to adapt one of my books into a movie. You can make it as awful as you want. Because, because of the dollar babies. Not just that. Oh, yeah, but he's, <laughs> which is awesome. But the end of the of day, at the at the end of the day, the book and the art that I created stands on its own. And speaking of King, because Jerry, you had said how like kids are often smarter than adults. To me, there has always been a lot of A Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger in It. Oh, one of yes. The, one yeah. of the key aspects of It is as you get older, you lose the ability to believe. Your mm-hmm. imagination goes away and when you're same as the polar express yeah i don't remember i've never seen the polar (laughs) express because it's so freaky to me like the polar express animation is so much freakier and scary to me than any horror movie i just can't it gives me the willies i can't can't do it can't do it (laughs) i think wes craven is struggling 
to come to terms with his own legacy in a new nightmare, because this is a period where he really wanted to break out and break away from doing horror. He works with Meryl Streep in music of the heart. And it's a role that like she's nominated for, but it doesn't lead to commercial success or a lot of opportunity outside of the genre for Craven. And I think that he, I don't want to say that he didn't, he ever felt like he was above genre films or that he wasn't indebted to the opportunities that making them provided him. But I do get the sense that he often felt maybe pigeonholed is a master of horror. And it's not a label that he embraced. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. If you tell Adam Green, he's a master of horror. He's like, hell yeah, I am. Absolutely. I'm one of you. And I always felt like Wes Craven was like, I make terrific horror movies because I'm a terrific director. Not because I'm a terrific horror director. I'm just very talented, very smart, and very good at what I do. All of which are true, by the way. I don't mean to... Well, I I also feel like it's very similar to Barbara Crampton's uh, feelings on the Final Girl label. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, putting a label on something like that kind of could be detrimental at times, you know? Mm -hmm. Because Craven was, I mean, still is, you know, rest in peace, but I mean, a master of horror. That said, I mean, I'm sure he had many different stories that he wanted to tell that mm-hmm. maybe for one reason or another, he couldn't because he was put in that box. Yeah, Wes, Wes has said that horror really affected him deeply being a horror director, especially in certain circles. Um, he said, I've become a pariah for making this kind of film. I've had a lot of suspicion and resentment directed at me because I choose to deal with horror and for having come back to it more than once. I found that horror can be a lonely watch and this film addresses some of that loneliness. Interesting. Exactly. 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 And I feel straight. like with this movie in particular, he was really trying to kind of wrestle with that legacy and like, what have I brought into the world here? Like, what have I created? And like, how do people view me? So I felt like all of these statements that are aimed at Nancy in the movie, like the talk show host that is like, you wouldn't let Robert like alone with your kid, would you? It's like, dude, he's not driving a Skittles van in real life. Like he's an actor. And like that scene in the talk show, it felt more like an interrogation than it did like an oh, yeah. interview. Um, and it reminded me of like Jello Biafra on, I believe it was the Phil Donahue show Yeah, where yeah, he was getting, was it Oprah or Phil Donahue? It may have been. Oprah. It was Donahue. It was I Donahue. Think it, okay. Actually, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. I, I don't remember what where else, but yeah. you have like, him getting like basically in deflection mode and keeping calm. And in, for folks who don't know, like Jelby Afro, like the lead singer of the Dead Kennedys, who, you know, one of those bands that were like at the crux of like the PMR, PMRC battles in the 80s. You had the H.R. Giger cover, like the penis landscape art they did on the mm-hmm. Frankenprice album, who was basically like extremely well spoken, very intelligent. Uh, went on to rip off his bandmates for years, basically, on royalties, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, because of that, you can now hear Dead Kennedy's songs in Volkswagen commercials, which is really weird. Um, but basically deflecting and saying, like, art is art, and how you interpret is totally up to you. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not responsible for your actions. I'm not responsible for your children's actions. And I say this as a therapist a lot. Like, when people tell me, like, this person made me so angry. This person made me do this. And I'll stop them 
And I'm like, no one makes you do anything, man. Like you do it to yourself. Like they act how you choose to feel how, you know, how you choose to feel basically influences your behavior. And if you change that feeling, you're going to change that behavior. Does that make sense? Like do you guys kind of oh, get totally. Yeah, yeah. I do. All right. Now that we're on. And I understand Wes feeling like, like pigeonholed in horror and maybe he didn't, I don't know if he, he enjoyed it probably still, but that's a lot to live up to when you've mm-hmm. made a bunch of success, successful films. Um, I just wish he could like hear us talking right now, you know, hear people talking about like, no, the things that people really latch onto are the deeper meanings mm-hmm. that he put into it. So like, I hope he knew that people saw that and saw how smart he was and how mm-hmm. he was such a study. He studied human nature and yeah. people can really learn and grow a lot from his movies. And he or had an not. effect. He had a huge effect on the people that worked with him too. Like I, yeah. I did this, I did this really long, long, way too long interview with Rose McGowan a couple months ago, uh, which was a trip. Uh, and like, I just ac- just happened to mention Wes about the experience of filming Scream and kind of what what Wes meant. And immediately she just started bawling. Yeah. And she went into detail. Of, she went into detail about how he was easily probably one of the kindest human beings that ever walked this earth. You know, and like that's that's just just being known as like oh a master of horror, you know horror. Like I I feel like that maybe he didn't get enough credit as just being a storyteller outside of that, not yeah. just horror, but just in general. You know, like Wes Craven was such an exceptional storyteller in every single thing that he did. And yeah. you could always tell that he was the nicest human being ever. Like I remember, like the first interview I ever saw was on my VHS of Scream. At the end of the movie, like after the credits, they had like one of those behind the scenes featurettes. And that was the first time I ever saw Wes Craven and saw him speak. And I was just like, this guy is so cute and adorable and so sweet Mm -hmm. and everybody loves him. Yeah, he he obviously had a great influence on the people that worked with him. I love the stories about what people thought Wes Craven was going to look like. Like, master poor Wes Craven once again. He comes out with like a polo shirt on. He's like, hello. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like a professor. Yeah. I think the only time I ever saw him react in a really negative way was like if you ask him about Freddy's Revenge. Where he's like, yeah, that movie makes no fucking sense. Like, moving on. <laughs> just like, he really does not like that movie. Um, I, it's so interesting to see how salty Wes is. Because I don't, mm-hmm. I know I, like, hang on every word that he's said. Um, but, man, I love the hell out of Freddy's yeah. Revenge, man. That's such a dark movie. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a dark movie. But, but Craven is someone that, at the end of the day, had, I think, at least three films you can call true masterworks of horror that influenced oh, yeah. that general everything that came after it you have the last house on the left mm-hmm. you have a nightmare in elm street and then in 1996 you have scream so you have three you know three movies that really are not only great films but influenced the genre for years to come like they really kind of set the tone in a way that like with the exception of maybe John Carpenter's Halloween, which, you know, kind of set things in motion for the slasher boom of the late seventies and through the mid eighties. Like, I can't think of a director that had like 
three movies, let alone one, like three movies that really set the tone for the next like four to five years after its release. Oh, I, I agree. Well, all right. I like, <laughs> I like being right. Um, so I guess we're the next thing I want to move on to before we kind of wrap up. Cause we've kind of like, this is very much Nancy's movie. This is very much Heather Lane camps movie overall. And I, you know, of on the mindset, like I, the one thing I really wish, I think what always got me down about this movie was I wish it was Robert Englund's movie. Because I think if you're talking about a movie about wrestling with legacy, and I usually hate talking about a movie, like here's what I would rather see instead of what's presented. Um, But I would love to see a movie where Robert Englund has to wrestle with a legacy where this killer he's played has been made so cool and relatable and the character audience have come to root for so much so that it gave birth to an actual evil um considering how much craven wrestles with the legacy of this movie i think the perception uh, or getting england's perception of it especially because like he said yes to everything like you need me in the makeup and glove to like open a car dealership. Like, fuck it. I'm there. I'm there next week. You want me to do an MTV special? Like you bet. He didn't care about being typecast anymore. He was like, I will play this role until I'm no longer able to play it because it has done so much for me. Watching the movie from that perspective, I think would have been like really, really fascinating. Um, And I know like, Nancy is an amazing fight. And I think the movie to me gets so much better when it stops being about when Heather stops playing herself and she shifts back to playing Nancy. That to me is like a really fascinating transition. And I think it's when the movie like really hits its stride at the same time. No, I, I, I can see what you, what you mean about Robert, but I, I think that goes back to what was said earlier about, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that like Robert England's always embraced this so much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that he wanted to do more with his career too, but I mean, he's not, you know what I mean? He's, he's not shying away from the fact that he's going to be known as Freddie. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whereas Heather, I mean, this thing that she was in that blew up to these astronomical proportions became a Freddie thing, became everything mm-hmm. that kind of, overshadowed everything that she kind of brought to the table too. So I do like the fact that this is a movie about her and how it maybe affected her, her life, her approach mm-hmm. to everything and how she looks at it. I, to be honest, as much as I wish that Robert was in, in the movie more, because it is kind of like jarring to be like, Oh, well, I guess he's gone. You know? It, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, I feel like the film wouldn't be as strong with the statements that it has. If it was, a, if it was Robert's film. Because it's not a Freddy movie. That's the thing. Like, yeah. I, I don't think the original Nightmare on Elm Street film was a Freddy movie. It's about these it characters isn't. being mm-hmm. attacked by this evil. And I feel like as the series went on, they became very much Freddy films. And the fact that this wasn't goes back to that first film, that it's about mm-hmm. the evil and how it affects people. And I, I think Heather is the perfect person to, to basically make that bridge between the OG and this one. Yeah. I, I agree yeah. with a lot of that because the the story that Wes had wanted to tell and we've touched on it multiple times in the conversation was that he wanted to talk about the impact of horror films on people. Did we do a good thing? And then especially on himself as a parent, um, he wasn't around a lot. You know, people don't have these positive perceptions of horror movies. You know, what are my kids going to think? Um, so that 
all really came together with Heather and then her struggling with her own demons, not only being in Freddie's shadow, but also having to deal with some truly scary people in her life. Um, and, you know, I just think all of that that Wes wanted to talk about came together with Heather. And yes, I mean, she was definitely his muse. And so um, he, he went back to her. So it makes sense why they chose Heather. Now, I would have loved to have also seen a movie about Robert. I mean, you have this lighthearted kind of, here I am doing all this Freddie stuff. I'm on Nickelodeon um, doing Freddie stuff. And, you know, he's just kind of spreading this Freddie message. Freddie becomes kid friendly. But then all of a sudden it takes a turn for the worse because here comes Freddie out into the real world. And Robert's got to deal with that legacy of maybe I shouldn't have been, you know, so kid friendly. Maybe I shouldn't have had this out there. Should these films have gone on? Should I have said no at a certain point? Because maybe, um, you know, this has a negative impact, but I don't, because, but I think that that might lean even more toward the idea of, yes, horror films actually do have this, you know, negative impact on kids. Horror films do actually hurt people. Horror films do cause bad things. When you choose to take on a horror film, you, um, you can cause death. So um, I would have been a really good movie to see as well, but with what Wes had intended to tell, I think it was a good choice to put Heather at the forefront. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then technically it was also a good thing in terms of the story that, that this movie presents. It was a good thing that he kept playing Freddy and kept making movies about him and um, made him more popular because that's what kept the evil entity you know, from coming into the world. So there's that side of it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that it, this brings it back to just the basic, you know, good versus evil. And, you know, who's been a stronger, more recognizable force of good in the Elm Street series than Nancy. Mm -hmm. I think like the things that I don't appreciate about that would still stick with me is, and I think that Camp's performance gets stronger as the movie goes on but there are moments like when she's confronted by the cops about her husband's death i think that's because she already kind of knew mm. or she already had an idea that something wasn't right. i think there's like i can tell you just from experience of like there's like knowing that someone is dead or is going to die and then getting hit with like the reality of it it's two different things. Um, and I just thought that that was one of the weaker moments. Um, poor Miko Hughes in this movie. Um, my God, he really goes for it. But... He, <laughs> I love Miko Hughes. <laughs> he's, a, he's great. He's a great DJ from what I understand. Um, he's he also just, takes great shirtless pics. Excellent. <laughs> Super sweet. So, but I'm um, talking bad about Mika. He's super so, sweet. So I think like the, the scene like when he um when Julie dies and he turns to look at the camera, that look on his face, I'm like, oh God, that's that'll live with you. That's a, that's an unfortunate image right there. I don't know. Like he's just not that great of a you know, he's no Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Let's put it that way. All right. So he's not just doesn't do it for me. Um <laughs> stupid. 
in an hour oh and like God. there's like to me like, I'm picturing the... Macaulay Culkin in some little T-Rex pajamas <laughs> um, would be so amazing I guess it would be Rory McCulkin would be more age appropriate for this movie um, Kieran the biggest problem I have with it is like it feels like there's a lot of empty space in this movie it feels made for TV sometimes um, and I go back to like the talk show scene it feels like there's like 10 extras in that scene overall. It feels so small. Like the war, like, and I get that like the other movies have these giant set pieces and had really kind of expanded the scope of the movies overall. And this one, I get that's what Craven was going for, but it feels really constricted. And I don't mind, like, I know the effect of like, Freddie pulling Dylan up and down on the highway. Like that's just a byproduct. I don't really care about the effect not coming off quite as well, but like it's almost two hours long and I don't see Freddie until like an hour and eight minutes into the movie for longer than 30 seconds. Uh, and yes, you could say, well, it's a Nancy movie. It's not really a Freddie movie. I understand that, but I'd be like, hey, let's go to this amazing steakhouse that prepares 24-ounce porterhouse steaks that, like, fall right off the bone. We're going to go there, and we're going to order chicken nuggets. Like, that's not why I go to these places. not what okay, I'm looking for. Okay, okay. And I think that's why, like, the box <laughs> office for this movie, like, you know, when you come out of it and your friends are like, how was it? It was like, Freddie wasn't really in it for like more than a couple minutes for most oh. of it. Flip that side to that. Common, I think that that's the common reason people don't like it. Freddie had become mm -hmm. so prominent in all these mm -hmm. movies and people loved him so much that mm -hmm. they went in and they're like, well, where the hell is Freddie? And why does he look mm -hmm. different? And the, Robert isn't in it all that much. I want Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And I think that that had reached that point where people were disappointed that it wasn't more mm -hmm. about Freddy and Freddy doesn't have a lot of, he really doesn't have a lot of kills in the movie. And, and I, think I don't that mind that, that upsets a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but Robert has said it and I agree with him that it's basically a drama about horror more mm -hmm. than it is yeah. a horror movie yeah. itself. And um, yeah, I've, I've heard that complaint many times. And like I said, I used to dislike the movie myself, but mm -hmm. um, it just ended up, touching me on a different mm -hmm. level but i can see it's, your points i can see um, how your points are valid i just i am it hits me differently i am sad to say you know i shouldn't say this i'm, I'm joking when i say this it, it bums me out that i definitely on my last two watches of this movie in preparation for this show that i enjoyed it a lot more than i ever have before like i hit me on a different level and maybe it's because like i'm watching it from a more analytical approach as opposed to like putting the popcorn in front of me like this is not a movie that i would put on to watch i think if i was gonna like kick back to like an elm street movie that i love do you know what i mean like it's not like when i'm going through the box set it wouldn't be the movie that i would pull out it would still be like one three or four for me one three four or two um would be the movies i would pull out if i was going to kick back and watch an elm street movie but, i do like, i do have it's to a different experience but there's like I, I a lot to chew on with this movie, mm -hmm. which is great. I do have to ask this though, Mike, what is more insulting to a fan? <laughs> Seeing a movie called Wes Craven's new nightmare with Freddie, not going into it until what an hour and some change an hour and eight or, minutes or paying good hard earned money to sit down in a theater and watch a movie called Jason goes to hell and have Jason in it, maybe 10 minutes and a worm for half of the fucking movie. 
but there's so many of I, oh here's here's why that doesn't matter to me because if, number one friday the 13th is not my franchise like i enjoy the movies <laughs> who's gonna say that <laughs> i i enjoy the movies like and i've made this analogy before like the difference between the best friday the 13th and the worst friday the 13th like the um, margin of the, the what well, I'm trying to think what I'm going for right there, but the margin of error is like not as big over there. Okay. okay? That makes sense. So, you know, four and six are standouts, but everything from your third favorite to your least favorite, I don't think there's much of a difference there. Okay. Um, with Elm Street, I think you got the strongest first four movies of any franchise that's out there. And Perhaps. even five and six are still like really good movies. What will you put above like the first four movies? Or like, what do you think has a four stronger movies that are out there? Me, like me yes, personally. Please go, Jerry. Please tell us. Uh, I I would probably think uh, Halloween one through four. To be honest, <laughs> I and I think those are great. I think that would be my second, actually third Maybe behind Scream. Third behind Scream. No, it's come great. on. Five is okay, but I mean, like, I like yeah, five. No. We we like five more than most. I would say like Halloween would either be, you can make a strong case for that. I think behind Elm Street overall. Um, and look, if you're like partial to that, that's totally fine. Um, Jason goes to hell though, has a shit ton of imagination. It's funny as hell. You get Creighton Duke talking about throwing hot dogs out hallways and little girls. You dresses. get Freddy attacking get, a fucking dinosaur in this one. You get effects by K and B. Um, and you get like a pretty baller Freddy fight. You get John LeMay like jumping out of fucking handcuffs. They get right? a nod to Youngstown, Ohio, and that yeah. is where I'm from. And I watched that for the first time. I was like, hold up, wait a second, what? You get, you get Mike losing his virginity after taking a date to Jason Goes to Hell. So that's a five star classic, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, I totally agree. Excellent. Okay, like so that is like six Worm stars, Jason. seven Worm thumbs Jason. up. Worm Jason. And rules. All right. Freddy has leather pants in this. Like Freddy is definitely rocking the docking pants. I love those pants. Yeah, those pants I are shiny. It. Those pants are super yeah. shiny. So I would say, like, that's why, <laughs> you know, that is what it is. Like, that's why in an hour, like, give me, or maybe like cut it down to like an hour and th- like most movies do not need to be almost two hours long. Like, this is not Martin Scorsese doing The Irishman. You know, we definitely we don't. I don't know. And everything else is like that nice 85, 90 minutes. Like I'm on board. Um, you give me an 85 minute movie, you get an extra half star in your review because you respect my time at that point. This felt, there were too many moments. Like, I don't know what the over under is and how many times Heather needs to yell at her son to not watch her movie. But that number has to be less than four times. It has to be less and stop watching this movie. Like that just gets old <laughs> after a bit, you know, just like get Didn't rid they of say the like. T- you have to repeat something 64 times in order for it to become a habit. I think it's 28. I think it's 28. <laughs> Whatever it is, she's aiming for it. That. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's too many times where it, like, it, it just crawls along. Um, but that said, like, when it shifts from to a more surreal movie in that last third, like when Daddy Saxon is like, why are you calling me John? Um and you kind of get that like subtle signal, like, oh, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like, I really start to appreciate this movie. It's got a very strong third act. Um, 
I will also say like I wish that Lisa Wilcox was in this as as in because I do think that like as the, we we made this argument like Alice is to me the best of the heroines in this series. I mean, she literally gets to like walk off into the sunset with her baby, her dad, her best friend, and I love the well, character. Yeah, but she had help from really... Jacob and Amanda. That's true. true. That really great script for Freddy versus Jason that wasn't mm-hmm. accepted, and it was the survive. It was Alice, mm-hmm. uh, and it was Alice and the survivors of Jason Goes to Hell teaming up against Freddy versus Jason, yeah. and that is such yeah. a great script. That would be much better than like Jason's afraid of water, Freddy's afraid of fire. Oh my God. How do we use this? One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Do you know why they sing that? It's because that's when he comes for you. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I still love the hell out of that movie, too. Yeah. Me too. It's, it's just a lot to love about. It's fun. I mean, yeah. like any movie. Yeah. It's, just, it's God. Yeah. It's, it's still a lot of fun. But like, yeah. I think when you get to what it could be, could have been. Could have been, yeah. I don't even know because we did two parts on Freddy versus Jason. I don't even know what we're going to do. I think we're going to have the kids do a commentary for Freddy versus Jason. I am down. I, am I think down. we need to do that. Awesome. We need to force them. All right. So I think we can put a little bow on our talk about I'm good. the yeah. nightmare. Unless, yeah. I, unless Michelle or Deandra, is there anything there that like you wanted to cover that I might have missed? Just two things I want to say that I love about this. Um, mm-hmm. One, I love Julie. Yes, Julie. When Julie wonderful. makes that turn and punches that nurse in the face, that's like mm-hmm. the greatest thing ever. She turns a chill ass and then she dies. Mm-hmm. But whatever. And I also love the uh, the thing with Dylan and Rex. Mm-hmm. His as his little protector. That is cute. For yeah, the monster at the end of the bed. I I love that mm-hmm. so yeah. much. That that's exactly what a little kid would think would work, and it it works so well in the movie. Uh, I think it's adorable. I like when Julie threatens to stab the nurse with a needle. Yes. That's fucking dark, man. Like Julie has, Julie has definitely wrestled a hobo for the last bottle of wine on the yeah. streets. Right? I love any kind of character like that. That just like mm-hmm. goes hardcore to like save a kid like that. Yeah. yeah. Like not even a family member. She's just this babysitter. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. She's the babysitter. Just she shows yeah, up she at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she I'm pretty glad that, that she didn't end up being the stalker too. Yeah, that yeah. ended up being a nice twist. My favorite moment of this movie is when Heather finally stands up and she turns and she goes "fuck you" and she yeah. punches Freddie in the face. Like I just <laughs> love that. Like finally, thank goodness you mm-hmm. said it. Somebody, a little moment, a little moment I like too is that also um, when uh, Heather goes to see. Dylan and he's he's in that room and she just kind of she elbows the nurse yes. in the stomach. That is yes. so funny. That is the best moment. She didn't even know it was coming. I love that. Dude, yeah, she nurses... didn't. I was listening to the commentary. Wes said like uh-huh. that was just something that Heather did. And she was always throwing it. elbows. Those like, Go ahead. those nurses were mean. Like what nurse? Like they they, so dude, they played like dipsy do with the kid. Like the one takes out the nurse. They go. The one takes out the needle. And that then was Craven's daughter, that, wasn't it? Like yeah, stab him the, at that the one point. that mm-hmm. yeah injects yeah. him. Was that yeah. the daughter that got Johnny Depp casted? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Excellent. I think that was also the one that was yeah. It was the inspiration also for kind for of Nancy, Nancy herself. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. yeah, excellent. Well, this has been an awesome conversation about 
Wes Craven's new nightmare. I think that I've really enjoyed this and it's kind of nice to kind of work out some of my demons about a movie. Uh, and I think like, it really hit me. I'm like, I don't love this movie because I got hardcore dumped like about a month <laughs> after sin. This was like where it started. I also got screamed at by her mom for leaving the toilet seat out. And I know that that's like a joke, like don't leave the toilets. She like, legitimately almost left her husband on their honeymoon because the husband left the toilet seat up and was like, yeah. So I dodged a bullet. Um, Anyway. So do you like the movie now more? I think I, I appreciate the movie a lot more. Okay, good. I appreciate that. I'll put my my glove away. There we go. (laughs) Excellent. Um, I definitely appreciate this movie a lot more. And I think that's kind of the beauty of doing, this show besides the fact that I get to ramble for two hours about horror movies is that you get new appreciations of things that maybe you didn't love before, unless it's Mandy, which is still fucking hot garbage. Um, oh, all right. we're, we're going to fight one day. We definitely fantastic <laughs> fest one day. We're going to fight. Um, all right. Michael versus Jerry place your bets. <laughs> I bite. Ooh, I right. fight super oh, dirty. No. I and I can, <laughs> absolutely take a punch to the face like you wouldn't believe uh no i don't know if any of that is true don't know if any of that is true Um, we'll hopefully find out someday okay so michelle i know you had taken your writing had appeared in a bunch of places before um but it seems like you've gone on maybe a little bit of a sabbatical but is there anything anything you're working on anything you uh i do have something um in the works with a friend that i don't really want to say quite yet because we're still in the developing stages but okay i'm excited about it excellent so we'll definitely keep our eye out for that um where and you'd be happy to come back on we talk about child's play child's play or child's play 2 i will take either one i love okay what about the remake no i love the remake (laughs) okay no, I love I the remake. Be talking about the remake. Wow, Shit, right. I don't even want to talk the remake, but they have to. Don Mancini's <laughs> new nightmare, child's play. Um, it I is a nightmare. Love, I God, Mark Hamill. Oh. I didn't I'm mind sad. it, but it's I'm not sad. the same. Okay, but we'll definitely get you in for the child's play movies. Yeah. Where can uh, persons find you on social media if they wanted to communicate their appreciation for you on this episode? Oh, I don't know if it'll be that, but um, if you want to find me, uh, just um, on Twitter at Michelle in Agen. Excellent. Deandra, what is Fred Heads? Fred Heads, the documentary we've been working on for several years now, but it, it delves into the impact of A Nightmare on Elm Street on the fan community and how fans have had their lives changed by the world of A Nightmare on Elm Street and people uniting, people finding strength. It's basically the fan stories. Mm-hmm. Was there a common like through line you found when you were doing this movie? Was there, everybody obviously has their own kind of unique approach to finding these movies and pull different things from them and appreciate different things from them. But did you find there was any particular kind of through line or commonality when you were interviewing different persons for it? Um, God, I hope Paige, she's the director, she doesn't kill me too much, but I think one of the commonalities, and I think it can be said for everybody else, is just that the films themselves have really been therapeutic and used as a source of strength 
for a lot of people. Um, and people do have different evils in their life, whether it's bullies, family members, um, personal, um, social anxiety, uh, whatever it might be, they were able to find strength in the mm -hmm. A Nightmare on Elm Street films. I think that that's a pretty big commonality. Everybody has tons of different great stories, but that's a pretty common thread. So just finding that getting through bullying or just getting through the really tough times, like these movies are almost like we talked about way back when, like a comfort, almost like yeah. a comforting factor for them overall. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And just change their lives, mm -hmm. you know? And what stage is this? Uh, what stage is the documentary? And now you mentioned you wrapped, is it in the editing stage? Are you kind of prepping it for a festival run? Like what's the next step? Yeah, so um, Paige is putting the final touches on it. I actually got a couple text messages while we were talking from her mm -hmm. um, of some visual elements to take a look at. And then it will go off to color correcting and sound. Mm -hmm. And then we should be wrapped on the documentary itself. It's been a long journey. It's shifted a couple times. You learn a lot about what it takes to make a documentary when mm -hmm. you actually make one. And... Um, so it's, it's been, it's been great. And I, I can't wait to see it because she's actually kept a lot of stuff private. I don't know how mm -hmm. she's weaved it together. Um, so I can't wait to, to watch it, but it's, it's been great to connect with all of our fellow nightmare fans. And you just mentioned how the documentary kind of shifted in the process of making it. What do you think that biggest shift was like, what did you expect when you set out to make this and what really surprised you? Um, Part of it, because I don't want to give too much away, but part of it was definitely um, how many people have been impacted. We kind mm -hmm. of intended to go and make it a little bit smaller, but the more people that showed interest, the more people that had different stories, the more people that, and just different nightmare elements that had happened over the years, um, it just shifted a lot of the narrative of the documentary itself. And mm -hmm. there's a little bit of an impact of COVID in there. And um, so I think the, the level of um, what's in the documentary has shifted, but mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to lose my head. So I won't, I won't give away okay. anymore. No problem. <laughs> so in the meantime, anyone who wants to hear your thoughts on any of the Elm Street movies or characters or themes, they can go to your YouTube channel, which is Elm Street Radio, correct? Yes, we took a little bit of a, a break for a while mm -hmm. due to filming for Fred Heads, mm -hmm. um, but Paige and I have been talking about our upcoming episodes and kind of getting back into it, but um, I've done some videos on my own, but um, yeah, they can find a lot of different conversations specifically on Elm Street at the mm -hmm. uh, YouTube channel. Excellent. Are there any particular videos on there that you would recommend? Like, hey, if you're just starting out with this, what would you recommend someone dives in with? Um, I think our most popular video, and that is one of my favorite conversations, is the comparison of um, the A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors that we got and the A Nightmare on Elm Street Three Dream Warriors script written by mm -hmm. Bruce and Wes. 
that is a great conversation. It's one of my favorites to have. And the other one that I really enjoyed was, did Freddy Krueger live at 1428 Elm Street? There's actually Mm -hmm. people who don't think he literally lived there. Um, I thought it was abundantly clear, um, but I thought that was also a really interesting interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And where can our listeners find you on the social? So you can find me basically anywhere at Sassy Sledgehammer. I have to ask that name. How did that? Well, when I started doing my Nancy Thompson cosplay, because that's Mm -hmm. where everything began, um, I didn't want to just make it Nancy because I knew that there was potential for me to shift in different ways. So I wanted to kind of capture a nod to Nancy, but also to myself. So the sledgehammer element is definitely the Nancy influence because mm-hmm. of her sledgehammer. But sassy, um, I wanted to have the two S's, but also um, because Nancy can sometimes be sassy and so can I. Okay. So that's how the, that's how the username came to be. Well, thank you both for joining us. We definitely would love to have you on again uh, in the future. Um, I think we're going to be doing a reading of that original Elm Street 3 script at some point, and we're going to need performers. So if I you would want so to be down. All right. That'd be cool. Absolutely. We'll have you both on for that. I think we need to kind of get back to that sooner than later. Um, But if there's any other episodes you want to guest on, please, like, do not hesitate to speak up. We'll definitely. Yeah, if you do something on comfort horror films, that is something I'd love to talk about. Yeah, and we could definitely have you on, like, on my other show, Psychoanalysis, for that. Um, We definitely are going to be looking for different guests for that. So, by all means, like, come on. And if Paige wants to come on and do it too first, you can pitch the doc. Like, by all means, like, we'd have you for that. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks guys for having us on. Hmm. Say, I would like to talk about like tremors or something as my comfort <laughs> horror. <laughs> well, we will definitely be covering tremors at some point, which I've never seen a tremors movie. What? Yeah. And my wife put it on for Ada recently and thought it was a documentary. And then I said it wasn't. Like, there's a movie about you, giant worms. worm come out of the ground? <laughs> She's from England. They don't get the news there. They get news years later. So yeah, they were disappointed it wasn't a documentary and stopped watching it. So, so <laughs> on that note, now that I've thrown my wife under the bus, on that note, um, you just had a great interview with Mick Garris. Yeah, yeah, that, that came out today. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I'm talking to Barbara Crampton tomorrow morning about her career, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, this coming up, or two weeks from now, which by the time the, this episode comes out, it'll be a week and a half. I'm hosting a live panel for Dread Central on dissecting horror, on indie horror, uh, focusing on short film directors making their transition into feature films. Nice. Uh, we're going to have Josh Difter, Izzy Lee, BJ Colangelo, and Gigi Guerrero on that. So I'm moderating oh, nice. that. Nice. That uh, is a great panel. It's going to be a lineup. lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, if you want to hear more about my opinions on New Nightmare, mm-hmm. uh, I recommend going back and getting issue 56 of Scream Magazine, where I have kind of a retrospective on New Nightmare, because I love the fuck out of this movie. Uh, yeah, so that's what I have going on. A lot in the pipeline, but yeah, that's it. So what do we have in the pipeline for the show? Because this is going to be our last episode of the nightmare on elm street for about a month right yes we're uh, gonna take a break 
we're going to take a break and spend October doing kind of one-off Halloween season-themed horror films. Everything from, like, the WNUF Halloween special to other films. And then we're going to come back, uh, jump into New Nightmare, uh, which I'm not going to say it's going to be just slamming the movie, but our guest, uh, which is Kyle Gallner, uh, said that he'll slam it enough for all of us. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, I'm excited. Could so, you guys ask him when you do that kind of a little bit? Yeah, I would love to hear what he has to say about dispelling some of the myths and some of the things that people say about why it was kind of bad. Because I've heard different stories. So I would I can't wait to hear his perspective. Yeah, we, we were going to record sooner, but uh, he started filming Scream 5 on the 21st. So he's just mm-hmm. waiting for ah. to get a, a, a day off. Yeah, he said he wraps the day that he ends up killing off Nev Campbell's character. <laughs> oh, stop dead. it. Oh, was that, a, was that not supposed to say that? <laughs> My bad. Um, if that happened, look, if they kill Sydney in the Scream movies, I'm going to fucking riot like you wouldn't yeah. believe. Like, do not do that. Bad idea. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, we have a lot in the works. Yeah. So let's talk about October a little bit because, is, you know, we have – we're going to be doing Trick or Treat. We're going to be doing the WNUF special. I know it's not necessarily a Halloween movie, but I think we're going to try to do Fade to Black. Um, oh, so good. This is – we're going to be recording our 976 Evil episode for patrons. Uh, hopefully this weekend. I got to talk to Jerry about that. We got to get that up by the 30th because otherwise it'll be filthy liars. But I want to do a lot of fun stuff in October. Like I want to do some more watch alongs uh, with some classic movies on some Friday nights with some of our listeners. Um, I would like to fit a script reading in there. And I've got this like watch along idea of my own. I've posted a 31 days of Halloween spooktacular where instead of posting like a specific movie that I'm going to watch that day, it all falls into subgenres. So there's like found footage movies, killer kid movies, um, Vin- pick a Vincent Price movie and give us ideas. Like we got like, a couple dozen recommendations for just the first found foot, the first day, which is a found footage movie. And we're going to post it's, it's posted. It's public on our Google calendar. You can go ahead and add titles to it. You can pick titles of your own, but it's just kind of a fun way to kind of share horror throughout the month of October. Um, I think we're going to, we got to do a commentary for the 31st, right? We have to do something for Halloween day. Um, and then in November, we will wrap up our coverage on A Nightmare on Elm Street with the remake and the bonus episode with all of the cast members we've been able to get a hold of and crew members is one mega episode before we move on to Urban Legend. But October is spooky season. We have a ton of really fun stuff planned. So, you know, keep that in mind. In the meantime, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast leave us a review wherever you we got some really nice reviews lately from some folks that found us over from halloweenies um awesome so you know we got some really nice reviews one saying like why did i knew about this show forever why did i wait so long to listen like i don't know i have you not fired jerry yet? yeah you know you know like why did you wait so long to listen you know you're only hurting yourself people um <laughs> go to our patreon page patreon.com pod and the pendulum tiers are at two five and ten it gets you all our bonus content 
access into our Slack channel, show notes. I will post some tasteful nudes if it comes down to it. Like, look, I'm not above, I am not above showing some leg if it means I'm going to get 10 bucks a month for you people. All right. I will do anything for some cash. Very little I won't do. I will not post nudes if that's what it takes. If you're like, look, we don't want to see anything. Please stop posting risque uh, pictures of yourself. Uh, please. If I scared off the guests, no one's ever coming on the show again. Yeah, all, right. all right. We'll be back next week with our first spook. What are we doing for our first spooky episode? I honestly, since that Chris La Martina, uh, La Martina I can never pronounce his name right, uh, the director of WNUF, uh, wants to be on the show. Personally, I think that we should do that. I don't know if I own it, though, and I think it doesn't oh. post to streaming until October 5th. So, so let's do a different we one. Will, we will, our next episode is um, Ernest Scared Stupid, so we'll see you next week. It's, it's <laughs> executive decision has been made. Until then, have a great week and don't fall asleep.